Let There Be Light. From Flashbangs and Frag Grenades. By Calchexis. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on League of Legends by Riot Games. Chapter 7. Change. Not for the first time, Lux found herself staring up into the sky. She sat at the edge of Billowa, where it dropped off into the chasm as thoughts whirled through her head. So much had happened, and so much was happening, and so very much was yet to happen still that even she was having trouble keeping it all in one piece. Lux had once prided herself on her ability to devise and execute complex schemes that would leave her enemies' heads spinning in place for the brief moment they still had them. Now, if she were being fully honest, she just found them tiresome. The meeting with the barons had arguably gone as well as it possibly could have given the circumstances. Seraphine had been a bit of a surprise, and Lux still hadn't quite worked out what her angle was, nor Renata's interest in her. She didn't countenance for a second that the older woman was being sentimental. Seraphine was more than just arm candy. She was a powerful, natural mage. That was one of the reasons that Lux had gone to such lengths to avoid her. All intelligence pointed to Seraphine's abilities existing on more than just the spectrum of sound. Agents who had attended her concerts reported a feeling of unity and well-being, and of being profoundly understood. It was deeply disconcerting. Prior to her betrayal, Lux had considered getting into the proximity of Seraphine's magic to be the most dangerous possible thing she could do— If Seraphine did possess the ability to sing some kind of understanding out of people, she could have ripped the cloth from Lux's cover with a whistled note. That also meant that Seraphine was more than just powerful. She was probably an order of magnitude stronger than Lux herself by potential alone. Realistically speaking, Lux's own magic was strong but fairly one-dimensional. Its complexities were things that Lux herself had learned to introduce into it hard light, psycholuminous manipulation, and there was a lot one could do with the spectrum of light, but in the end, that was all it was, just light. Seraphine's magic seemed to exist on multiple dimensions simultaneously, which made her exponentially more dangerous. And Lux had no doubt that Renata Glask had recognized that for the advantage it was. It certainly made sense as to why she had gone to such extremes to secure Seraphine's loyalty, including bribing Jinx repeatedly to take care of the girl's parents, as well as spitting in the eye of the Piltoven Council itself. A natural mage of Seraphine's caliber was a priceless resource. The most terrifying thing was how young the girl was. Twenty years, twenty-one at the outside. That meant her power was still growing. She wasn't even at her peak— Not even close, honestly speaking. From a practical standpoint, the girl was only just now coming into the bloom of her power. This was only the beginning. She made a silent promise to herself to keep a closer eye on Seraphine in the coming months and years. Unlike herself, Seraphine hadn't been hardened by a decade of torturous conditioning. Her magic was completely unchained. If something happened that tipped her past the breaking point— then both Zahn and Piltover would suffer the consequences. Better that she'd be put down before that could happen, but until then, she was useful, incredibly useful. 
She was an ace that not even Piltover fully understood the extent of, because Zahn didn't understand it either. Lux questioned whether or not Renata actually understood it. If anyone did, it was her. Coming for your thoughts, Blindy? Jinx sat down beside her, having sidled silently up next to her in that feline way that not even Lux could detect. She was dressed in a loose linen shirt and sturdy trousers held up with a thick leather belt, and her feet were shot in heavy work boots. She didn't look anything like a chem-baron. Missing the sunrise, honestly, Lux said. It was early morning, which only meant that Zahn seemed marginally less dingy. The suggestion of dawn had begun filtering vaguely through the smog that perpetually covered Zahn. Billowa was fortunate in that it was situated inside of what was essentially a cyclopean pipe. It was so wide that its curvature wasn't immediately obvious and was made even more subtle by the street constructions that the citizens had made to create flat surfaces to walk, build, and live upon. It also hid the sky above. It kept the Billowari's heads free of the occasional bout of acid rain and falling debris from Piltover. But there was no sky above them. That was the price they paid for a measure of safety. We'll have sunrises again, Jinx said after a moment. You know, after the fight and all the blood, after we win. Lux leaned against Jinx, who slipped her arm around Lux's shoulders. I'd like that, she said quietly. But I'm afraid of what the light will show at the end of all this. Having second thoughts? Snorting Lux shook her head. Never, she said. I'm just wondering how much of Piltover and Zahn will be left when it's all over, if anything. I don't care one way or the other if it means keeping you, but all the same. This is home, Jinx said. Yeah, Lux agreed. It's home. And she wanted to protect it. That was a new feeling. Her instinct to protect Demacia had only ever been at the insistence of her various masks. She protected her homeland because to do otherwise would be suspicious. To show the apathy in her heart would have betrayed her true nature, and that had always been more trouble than it was worth. Then she met Jinx, and she wanted to protect Jinx more than anything. She had committed atrocities, betrayed all of her loyalties, and put all of Terra at risk of a new rune war for the sake of protecting and keeping Jinx. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, Billowa had taken up residence in her heart. Its people looked at her not with fear or disdain, but with admiration and hope. She knew hundreds of them by name, and given blessings to their children, blessings she had made up on the spot because she hadn't had the heart to tell them no, and danced in their festivals. She had sat among them, listening to the older Bilawari tell tales about monsters in the dark. It was funny. There were no heroes in Zonite tales like that. Demacian stories always involved the monsters being vanquished by knights or kings. Zonite stories all ended in blood and death, or else in a lesson learned by the survivors. Lux found that she liked the Zonite tales more so because of that. Sighing, she curled up closer to Jinx and wrapped her arm around the lean woman's waist, and they slowly tangled themselves up together. Legs were draped over one another's, and their fingers twined, and their heads laid atop one another, so their hair fell together a blue sky streaked with sunlight. 
I love you, Lux murmured. Love you too, Blandy, Jinx replied. Swallowing thickly, Lux tightened her grip on Jinx's hand and said, I want to make this a place worthy of raising our daughter. Not just Billowa, but all of Zon. Me too, Jinx whispered. Lux closed her eyes and pressed herself hard against Jinx as an unfamiliar emotion suddenly overwhelmed her. Her chest grew tight, her heart ached terribly, and her throat constricted until she could hardly breathe. Everything suddenly felt so far away and yet damnably claustrophobic. Before she could say anything about it, though, Lux adjusted her grip so both arms, real and prosthetic, were wrapped around Lux and said, I know. I want to meet her, too. A tired sob ripped its way out of Lux's chest, and she had no way to account for where it had come from. It was as if she had lost something terribly precious, but she hadn't. There was nothing to lose, not yet. And despite that, she felt as though she already had, or as if she were right on the precipice of it. Gods and aspects. She was scared. This isn't fair, Lux muttered. We shouldn't have to fight a war just to have a baby. I know. I want our daughter, Jinx. I want to hold her and look into her eyes and see her smile. Lux shivered despite the humid warmth of the city. I just want to hold her. Jinx sighed and pressed her face into Lux's hair and she could feel the faint, warm wetness of tears as Jinx said. Me too. That's why I'm going to kill everyone up topside until they let me. All Lux could do was nod silently at that. The truly frightening thing, though, was that in shedding herself of everything that had been forced upon her, all Lux had left now were things she was unwilling to lose. Billowa, its people, and Jinx. Realizing that put a stone in her chest that didn't seem capable of being dislodged. It was a terrible thing, and yet Lux wouldn't have given up a single jot of it for anything in the world. Her only fear was that when the war came, she might not be given a choice. Speaking of killing everyone... Jinx sat up and pulled what looked like an elbow-length glove from her pocket. I made you something, Blondie. She handed it over. Check it out. Lux took it. It was soft, sturdy fabric, probably the highest quality sort of reclaimed material, and there were veins of metal threaded through it, running along the length of the arm and the back of the hand, all meeting at the palm where a circular ring of durable gemstone was inset. What is it? she asked, looking up at Jinx. My new focus, Jinx replied. I think it is anyway, she added. It's, it's sort of like, you know, Hextech works, right? No, Lux said flatly. No. Jinx scratched her head, then said, Okay, well, basically it's like this. Magic is guided by runes. You draw some runes. Then run energy from a hextech gemstone through the runes, and it turns them on, and that casts whatever spell the runes were made to cast. Make sense? Fundamentally, yes, Lux replied. 
Well, the, the problem with that is that in order to do anything big, you need a ton of those stupid gems because you can only draw so much power from one at a time, like a, a spigot. A spigot? Lux echoed with a faint smile. All right, I follow that much. The gems have a maximum draw, so to cast a large spell, you need to draw from multiple gems. Mages worked much the same way. A single mage could only channel so much energy. Right, Jinx said. But see, that energy, it's all just mana, you know? That's all it is. Those gemstones are just solid mana. Don't know how, don't know why, but they are. She turned the glove over to show Lux the intricate weavings of metal. These gloves are kind of like a prototype. Of what? Lux asked. A new focus, Jinx replied. For you. She held the glove out again, and Lux took it gingerly from her wife's fingers. The conductive lacing is chem-treated tungsten, and the focal piece is diamond. Lux traced her fingers over the gemstone loop that was fastened at the center of the glove's palm, before looking up at Jinx with a teary smile and saying, You got me a diamond ring. Jinx blinked owlishly at her, then blushed and laughed nervously as she looked away and rubbed at the back of her head before saying, I, y yeah, I guess I did. Still smiling, Lux flipped the glove over and fit her hand into it before pulling it on. The material had an odd form-fitting feel to it, as if it were trying to seal to her skin, and other than the oddly greasy texture that all reclaimed materials had, it was extremely comfortable. Her fingers had their full range of movement, and it didn't impede her arm at all, either. It would likely need a casing to be laid over it, as well as some armor to ensure the more delicate parts weren't vulnerable, but that could be easily arranged. It was a vast improvement from her focal rod, though. Massively so. Even her telescoping version, which was lighter but less durable for channeling her magic, wasn't so inconspicuous. Everything about this appealed to her sensibilities. Of course it did, though. Jinx had made it. Lux beamed at her wife as she held up her hand. Fits like a glove, she said. And Jinx snorted as she reached out and took Lux's hand. It's just a first draft, Jinx said. But I think it'll work better than a staff, you know? Thank you, Lux said softly. You were worried about me, weren't you? Jinx's face fell, and she furrowed her brow cutely as she curled up and wrapped her arms around her legs, but she nodded all the same. It was such a very Jinx thing to do. Jinx had been worried about her, so she'd made a new weapon that would let Lux protect herself more easily when Jinx wasn't there to do it. Not that Lux needed Jinx to protect her, but it was such a charming notion. You know, Lux said with a small laugh, I always thought I was far too serious to fall in love with someone so romantic. She stroked Jinx's cheek gently with her gloved finger. But I'm so, so glad that I did. Yeah, Jinx mumbled. Me too. But then it was always going to happen that way, wasn't it? According to Jinx, anyway. According to her, they always found each other, and they always would. No matter how many lives, years, eons passed, or realities were experienced, they always found each other. Now and in every single dream. Lux smiled as she pressed a kiss to Jinx's cheek. And Jinx uncurled so they could comfortably tangle themselves up again. 
There was an order to that particular chaos in how they sat that was infinitely more comfortable than sitting alone, their limbs all weaving together in a manner as to end up supporting one another. That was always the way of it, though. Their lives and their souls were a messy tangle that didn't look as though it should work, but it always did. No matter what trials or tribulations came their way, no matter how many times they had to change their definition of home, they were always together. She did miss the sunrise, though. Without warning, Jinx shifted and looked up, looking for all the world like a disturbed cat. And Lux followed her gaze to find her staring at an approaching figure in a long, heavy coat with a hoverboard strapped to his back. His white hair rose in curled dreadlocks to fall rakishly over his painted face, and Lux sighed as she untangled herself from Jinx and stood with Jinx following close behind. Echo, Lux said warmly. How are you keeping? Not great, Echo said flatly as he stopped in front of them and crossed his arms. There's a lot of scared folks in Zaw nowadays since that edict came down. More fear means more fighting in the streets. More fighting means more dead Zawnites, more orphans, more widows and widowers. We're working on it, Lux said. Echo shook his head, then said, yeah, I know, but that doesn't bring back the dead. Why should it? If they're so stupid they're killing each other, it's doing us a favor, Jinx said with a sharp cackle. Fury painted itself over Echo's handsome features as he lunged forward and grabbed Jinx by the collar. Luck stayed back. If Jinx had wanted to stop him, she could have. Echo might be able to reverse time, but no amount of reversals changed the fact that Jinx was an order of magnitude faster than him. It's not about them, Jay, Echo snarled and got now. It's about the kids. Kids like us. He prodded her narrow chest hard enough to push her back a step. Kids who can't fend for themselves. Kids who are going to get sold or sell themselves to some barren sweatshop or worse just to survive. So what's new? Jinx asked. Her voice suddenly achingly cold. Echo blew out a hard breath and dropped Jinx back to her feet. We are, he said bitterly. I hear your chem lord. Thought that might mean something, but you're just the fattest toad on top of this shittiest sump. Neither Lux nor Echo saw Jinx move before she slugged him across the jaw. Something cracked as Echo hit the ground and Jinx surged forward. Lux was between them in a flash, holding Jinx back as she snarled out gut-loud curses at Echo as the young man sat up and gingerly checked his jaw, spat out blood and part of a chipped tooth, then stood on legs that wobbled slightly before looking Jinx in the face. Don't piss on my head and tell me it's raining, Jay, Echo said as he wiped the blood from his mouth. Kem barons have never given a shit about us in the sumps. Guess Kem lords don't either. Enough! Jinx snapped. You have no right to- Jinx stopped, Lux's rising rat with a hand on her shoulder. And Lux looked back worriedly at Jinx, whose eyes were dropped low to the stained metal plates of the floor. She looked pensive rather than angry, and her eyes were darting around as she turned away from Lux and looked out towards one of the emptier quarters of Billowa. The manifolds had so much space prior to Jinx moving in, now it was filling up. There were still empty places, but that would change too, and soon. 
Word of her elevation had already begun spreading through Zahn like fire over an oil slick. Those who knew the path to Bilawa would come. Those who didn't would track down those who did. It was only a matter of time. Finally turning back to Echo after a minute of awkward silence, Jinx said, And what are you doing? What? Echo scowled. You deaf, little man? Jinx asked. I said, what are you doing about it? Shaking his head, Echo said, You've got some fucking nerve, Jay. But I'll have you know the firelights have already taken some of them in. The ones we could find anyway, but there ain't enough space in our lodge for more than a dozen. And there's a lot more than a dozen out there. Yeah, guess there are, Jinx said quietly. Then carded her fingers through her hair, looked Deco in the eye and said, So bring him here. This time it was Lux who turned to Jinx and said, Hold on, what are you thinking? She didn't say it accusingly, but Jinx had a tendency to just do rather than explain, and by way of reply, Jinx pointed up to an empty space along the curvature at the base of Bilawa's eastern wall. It was the furthest from the entrance, so by simple dint of organic expansion, it was the emptiest area. Bilawa didn't exactly have a city planning department, after all. We can build a, I don't know, some big with lots of space there, Jinx said. Wouldn't be hard. Zonites like to build vertical anyway. We got plenty of scrappers and welders in Bilawa. She turned to Lux and shrugged. A big wall place and shit are easy to find because no one wants them. They're too heavy for scrap and too much work to cut apart. Support beams, too. Jinx looked over to Echo, who was staring at her like she'd grown a second head. Got anything to spare? You just can let your eyeballs roll out of your head. Echo held up his hands, then said in disbelieving tones, Hold up, Jay. Are you saying you're going to build a fucking orphanage? Lux covered her mouth to keep from bursting out laughing as Jinx screwed up her face and said, Why, no, it's just a... She flailed her metal hand at the section of wall she'd pointed out. It's just a house. A big house. For kids with no parents. She deflated a little as she said it aloud and turned to Lux with a desperate, pleading expression. Tell him, Blondie. Tragically, Lux could only give her a weak smile and a pat on the arm as she said, Sweetie, that, that's called an orphanage. Echo, too, was clearly trying not to laugh and was masking his smile under the guise of cradling his bruised jaw before saying, I take it back, Jay. I'll, uh, I'll spread the word that the big bad chemlord is building an orphanage. This time even Jinx wasn't fast enough to catch him as Echo ducked her lunge and threw himself off the edge of Bilawa. An instant later he rose up in the air, the blades of his hoverboard humming their dull rhythm under his feet. I'll shoot you down, little man, don't think I won't! Jinx shouted as she snapped her prosthetic out and splayed her fingers to reveal the hidden barrel within, and a round ratcheted into it with a dull clunk. Good to see you haven't changed, Jay. Echo said with a tired smile. I'll get you your scrap, but you gotta make me a deal, okay? Jinx scowled as she crossed her arms. I'm listening, but I'm also aiming. So what do you want for the scrap? Just don't change, okay? Echo said so softly that Lux could barely hear him over the thrum of his engine blades. Whatever this city tries to do to you, whatever the barons try to do, or Renata or Piltover, just don't let him change you. Lowering her arm, Jinx's scowl fell away, 
and she folded the barrel back into its hiding spot before spitting over the edge, fixing one springberry eye on Echo's face and saying, Mike, I need you to tell me that. Now, scram, I need scrap. Echo sketched a mock salute before falling out of sight and drifting away, and Lux turned to Jinx, who was stalking away from the edge of Billowa in a foul temper. Catching up to her wife, Lux slipped an arm around Jinx's waist and said, I think that you're doing the right thing. Securing the next generation is the most important thing that a leader can do. Surely your father taught you that. Jinx came to a slow halt, then threaded her fingers through her hair again and shrugged. Yes, so, she said quietly. He said he wanted to, to drag Zahn into an age of prosperity, kicking and screaming. Then off it was to make things better for kids like me. Prosperity means more than just wealth, Lux said, stepping in front of Jinx to take her hands. If your father just wanted wealth and power, he could have had it, right? He already did. Exactly, Lux said. So why bother with an age of prosperity if not to make things better for everyone? I think your father was maybe a bad person trying to do a good thing. Like me? Jinx asked. And me, Lux replied. You're not a bad person, Blondie, Jinx said. You're perfect. I'm a murderer, an assassin, a saboteur, and a terrorist, and the Royal Demacian Art Society still wants to be brought up on charges of crimes against opera for the time I tried to sing Castra Targona a cappella. She patted Jinx's cheek. That's okay, because you still love me, right? Always, Jinx said warmly. And that's all that matters. Sighing, Jinx nodded, then leaned in for a kiss, which Lux gave up to her eagerly. It wasn't up to her what made a bad person or what that even meant for the rest of the world. Lux didn't care. She was who she was, and that person was someone who was deeply and desperately in love with Jinx. So long as that held true, then morals could go suck on a sump rat for all she cared. The echo of boot heels clicking against metal echoed through the dimly lit hall. Their owner was smiling. She was very often smiling to the point that her superiors, subordinates, and peers had almost all commented on it at one time or another. That didn't bother her. She liked being known for smiling, actually. There were far worse things to be known for, and she should know. The hall terminated at a locked door. It was a monster of a thing reinforced with bands of steel, hex-locked, and dead-bolted both. The locks didn't concern her. They weren't for her. She released the locks and bolts with three separate keys, gripped the handle, and pulled the door open. A septic stink wafted over her, and she wrinkled her nose as she stepped inside and closed the door behind her. The locks auto-cycled, then slotted back into place of their own accord. Low groans of agony were mixed with the dull clicking of the various mechanical pieces of life support technology littered around the slab where the ruin of something that had once been a woman lay. She was a miserable thing, better than half dead, but so long as she wasn't all the way there, she could still be of some use. How is she? Ren asked the doctor, who was looking over a chart of vitals. Dying, he replied flatly. We've arrested her decline for the time being, but there's no recovering from this. There's too much organ damage and too little left of her to save. Wren's smile didn't change. 
If anything, an almost sharpened dash, she put a hand on his shoulder and said, There's enough of her to still be of use, though. You've done your duty to the council and to the people of Piltover. You should be proud. His expression did not express pride as he nodded and respectfully, if hastily, took a step back. Ren didn't take it personally. Some people were uncomfortable with her. That was fine. Stepping past the doctor, she stood over the ruined body on the slab. There was more tubing and metal than actual meat left of the woman, but most of her upper body was still intact. That wouldn't change, but it didn't need to. Currently, she was asleep, or sedated more accurately, although that did nothing to prevent every breath that came from her eroded lips from being an agonized wheeze. The fact that she was alive at all was honestly a little impressive. Everything below her hips was gone, dissolved from exposure, and her prosthetic arms had both rusted to nothing. Most of her organs had entered various stages of sepsis or outright failure, and it was only her chemtech enhancements and emergency life support tank that had preserved even this much of her. Even that little which was left was pocked by acid-eaten pits. Reaching out, Ren fondly brushed a few bedraggled black locks from the once-painted face that they clung to, then said, Wake her up. Officer Gleamspire, that's... He snapped his jaw shut as Ren turns to fix him with a stare, and after a moment of awkward silence, he said, She will be in agony. And? My oath is a healer. Ren turned and laid a hand on his shoulder. She's a Zonite, Doctor, she said. So I hardly think she counts. Now wake her up, please. Now I'd hate to have to report you as uncooperative. The doctor paled and said, That, that won't be necessary. He went to the machines by the slab and began manipulating them. Slowly the woman stirred to grudging consciousness, and the first thing she did was let out a grinding cry of pain. There, there, it'll pass soon, Ren cooed, patting the woman's flayed shoulder. Before that can happen, though, I must know what you know. Is that understood? The woman turned her head a few miserable inches to look up at Ren and said, Please, save, save me. Ren shook her head. You offered my patron very important information regarding Zahn's plans. We already saved this much of you at great expense, she said, gesturing over the woman's ruined body. Consider that proof of good faith on our part, which makes it your turn. Tell me what you know of their plans. Please. Sighing, Ren turned to the doctor and said, Reduce the narcotic stream a little more, please. The doctor stared at her for a moment before saying, If I do that, she will be in unimaginable pain. I'm aware, Ren said cheerfully, and that's rather the point. For a moment she really thought he was going to fight her on it, but then the moment passed, and he turned to the console and adjusted something. And a few moments later the woman on the slab began to spasm and jerk as the painkillers that had been making her existence horrifying but bearable began to taper off. Ren watched her sob and squeak out noises that might have been screams if she'd had the capacity to draw in more than a tiny breath of air at a time before finally, after several minutes, turning back to the doctor and saying, That's enough. 
He cranked the narcotic flow back up, and the woman began to relax, the mere absence of agony being a balm unto itself, and once she had settled, Ren leaned in and said, We have been very patient with you. Now, are you going to fulfill your end of the bargain, or aren't you? We have better uses for these painkillers, if not. Will you save me? Of course, Ren lied. The woman nodded weakly, then rasped out, Noxus. Ren rolled her eyes. We are well aware of Glask Industries' connections to Noxus. The concept that Zahn will be receiving some kind of tacit support from them isn't exactly news. Shaking her head, the woman continued, saying, Trade lanes to Noxus. The deal was trade lanes. Zahn has no trade lanes, Ren replied flatly. They will take the Sun Gate. Ren narrowed her eyes. Impossible. Not impossible, came the weak reply. We, we built them. At those words, rage boiled up in Ren's throat like black bile, contorting her face into a savage rictus. Without a word, she stormed over to the console, shoved the doctor out of the way, seized the knob controlling the narcotic flow, and cranked it all the way down to zero before ripping it free and throwing it across the room. The doctor could only stare in mute shock as Wren stomped back over to the dying woman, seized her by her ruined corset, dragged her partially upright, and screamed, Nothing! Zonites make nothing! You wretched, evil monsters only know how to destroy things! Anything you have made has been by our will and our genius! You make nothing! You are nothing! By that point, the total lack of painkillers had hit, and the woman was spasming on the slab, choking on her own agony, her jaw wrenched wide in a silent scream. The doctor rushed to the woman's side, but Wren stopped him with an implacable steel grip on his shoulder, forcibly turned him away from the slab, and said, Don't waste your time, doctor. I'm sure you have patients who are far worthier of your expertise than a washed-up chem baroness. I... Officer, I can't watch this happen, he snapped. Ren's smile had come back in full force as she turned to face him directly, and he went pale as she laid one hand on either side of his face and said, Then close your eyes. She didn't let the doctor go until the woman had stopped thrashing. She would expire soon if she hadn't already. That might earn her a scolding, but Wren highly doubted that the former Canberraness Velveteen Lanaire had anything useful left to tell them. How she even gleaned that much from the notoriously tight-fitted security of Renata Glask was, and sadly would remain, a mystery. Likely it had stretched the extent of the late Velveteen's fortunes and black market intelligence contacts to do so, and it was barely anything. But it was something. Wren left the chamber in high spirits. Once she put a report together, she was certain that things would be handled decisively. That was the way of her patron, after all. Lady Ferris wasn't one to waste time or words. But if Wren were very lucky, this news might warrant her just a few of them. My kingdom for a smile, Wren said cheerily. 
my kingdom for my lady's smile. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voice over a character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.